welcome to Board Game Famous, the board game podcast that chronicles two brothers and some friends as they travel on their way to board game fame. I'm your host, David, and I'm joined, as always, with my co-host, Michael. Howdy, howdy. And Jesse. Hey, y'all. And we're back with a regular non-special episode. (laughs) All episodes are special. (laughs) (laughs) That is true. So I thought I'd commemorate this non-special, very special episode with, uh, hey, Michael, what you been playing? All right. Uh, Don't forget our announcement. And I'd like to not forget this announcement that Michael has. (laughs) We have an important announcement. David has an important announcement, even though he's not going to be there. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to give the announcement. It's just going to make me sad. Oh. All right. We, board game famous, have an announcement in about one month's time. I'm not quite sure when this episode is going to come out. Jesse and I are going to be at Tantrum Con. Hey. Which is February 24th through 26th in Charlotte, North Carolina, and it yep. is. It is run and managed by our dear friend Monica, who was a guest on one of our earlier episodes. Shout out to Monica. Woo, Monica. We are both going to be hosting a play game, a play session. Jesse's is already full, so I'm sorry that if you wanted to play with Jesse, you're going to have to find him randomly and be nice to him and ask if he's available <laughs> to play a game. Or you can join the wait list and then like sabotage the other people who are on the list. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I, I saw who signed up and it's two of, two of my dear friends who I spent New Year's with. So I'm really excited. Shout out to Josh and Judalyn who are signed up for nice. my play session. As well as um, Doug, who I am like, do I know Doug? I've seen that. Okay. So, <laughs> you know, you know, you know people, but you don't always know last names. And I know some Dougs. so shout out to doug if you're listening to us what's up doug there is still room in my event at the time of recording i will not guarantee by the time it comes out so (laughs) i I think your session will fill up as soon as the as soon as the general sign up time starts but if you see me i can't speak for jesse personally but if you see me at the convention i'll be trying to be wearing my board game famous t-shirt it is fine to come up and talk to me just don't talk to me too long. <laughs> Such a people person. No, I'd love I'd love to meet any of you who come up to say hello. And unfortunately, I won't be there because I don't live in Charlotte, North Carolina. I live far, far away in a mystical land called Missouri. <laughs> but hopefully, next year I'll be able to make it out if we uh, if we get to get invited back. So please behave yourselves so we get invited back. Oh, we're gonna flip a table. <laughs> oh, we are doing the table flipping event on Friday. Ooh, yeah. Literally. Super excited. Super excited. Now that I've made that announcement, David, do you have a question for us? I have a question, and that question is, Michael, what you been playing? Oh, man, have I been playing board games. And the games that I want to talk about in this section is, we got together for the first time with our regular board gaming group after the New Year's for a nice, relaxing board gaming session. Nothing heavy, nothing too long. Just sit around and, and as friends and have a good time. And the game I got to play for the first time and I did horribly at is the game Scout. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this quick, I would, I would call it a trick gaming, uh, trick-taking game 
and I'm going to do try to pronounce the uh, the designer's name correctly. Kai Kujino, published by Oink Games. Yeah, it's a uh, card game, trick-taking game, played over a series of rounds, and you try to get rid of the cards in your hands and build up points. I did a poor job about getting rid of cards in my hand. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, you play you play a trick down, and the person to your left tries to play a better trick. And if they cannot, they pick up one of the cards from the trick that's on the table, just one card, and add it to their hand. And then you keep repeating until someone gets rid of all their cards, or if everybody has to pass and take a card. Oh boy, did I end up with a lot of points. <laughs> no, a lot of cards in my hand, which are negative points. Uh, Jesse ended up winning this game with a score of 40-something. With a score of 39. What was your score, Michael? Negative one. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a patchwork score. Did I have fun? Yes. Would I want to play this again? Yes. Because I want to know if I was just unlucky. <laughs> <laughs> I also think, like, you sat to my left, and I think that made a difference in terms of our scores. Oh, yeah, because you were playing all the big, big tricks that I could not beat, and so I would have to keep taking cards into my hand. And every time you did that, I got a dollar. If I understand this correctly, this game has a couple of uh, neat twists. What are those? One of the big twists is that once you pick up your cards, you can't rearrange your hand. And also, every card has two sides to it. Can you flip each card individually, or is it a flip your whole hand? Flip the whole hand. No, when you first pick up your hand, you choose individually, don't you? Did I cheat? I was doing the whole hand. <laughs> oh, oh, this is where the drama comes from. <laughs> well, maybe we maybe we got confused on one of the rules because I'm I, I, my understanding was you could choose for each individual card, but once you chose, you were locked in. Oh, that'd be so much easier. <laughs> well then, <laughs> I was I was wondering how you guys were kicking my butt. <laughs> <laughs> All right, looking up the rules real quick. Got the PDF. <laughs> While Michael's reading that, hey Jesse. What have you been playing? Well, I played so many games over like Christmas and New Year's break that it was hard to decide which ones I wanted to talk about, but I did get to play a few big games that were new to me. So I wanted to talk about a couple of them. Um, first off, Title Blades, Heroes of the Reef. It's a 2020 release. It is designed by Tim and Ben Eisner and published by Druid City Games. Have either of you guys ever played Title Blades? I haven't, but I remember when the uh, Kickstarter was delivering, there was a big hullabaloo about it. Oh, well, I didn't kickstart this one. It was one. Of, this game belonged to one of my friends. Shout out to Rolando. So um, I got to enjoy the game and not own it. It is kind of an island hopping game in which you're going to various parts of the map and trying to do stunts and challenges and impress a judge and fight monsters. You have to collect fruit and seashells. And I wasn't, I like, I understood the rules of the game, but I wasn't entirely sure like what to do or how to do it. Like I was like, I'm just going to go and try some different things. So I was hopping around all the different islands. I mostly ignored the monsters until later in the game. I did kind of okay. It was a fun game. I don't feel the need to own it. It was cool to try it. I also got to try Lorenzo Il Magnifico, which is a 2016 game. And it was one of the top 100 on my poster on, on the road to the 100. Do y'all remember that segment? Yeah, I just haven't played a game from the top 100 in a hot minute. So <laughs> I got to scratch three little spots off of my poster. Ooh. So 
out, off that one weekend. Um, so Lorenzo Il Magnifico was was really cool. It's a 2016 release designed by Flaminia Brassini, Virginio Gigli, and Simone Luciani. And it is published by Cranio Creations. And it is a really neat worker placement game. We played it at like around midnight on New Year's. So I'm not going to lie and say I remember everything about it. I just thought the, the <laughs> gameplay was really cool. It was, you. there are these four different towers is one of the interesting mechanics. You have three family members, you send them out. The family members are represented by numbers on a dice that someone rolls. And so everyone has the same three numbers to work with. And you can only go to levels of the tower represented by the dice or lower unless you spend servants to increase your dice count. So you go out and buy cards in various ways, and those cards can increase your engine. So it's kind of a tableau building, engine building, kind of a point salad, collecting all kinds of different cards to earn yourself points. My focus was mostly on going to the church and getting little cross symbols so that I would avoid big bad penalties. (laughs) It was not the best strategy because I didn't win, uh, but I had a good time. <laughs> and that's and that's what matters. <laughs> I would really recommend it. <laughs> so, Michael, did you find the rule? I found the rule. So did I cheat or did you mess up? At the beginning of each round, you have the option to re- rotate your entire hand, not the cards individually. Oh, then I didn't understand the rule and I cheated. Uh, erase, the, <laughs> erase the scores. You pick, you pick it up, you look at all the numbers... And then you flip the entire hand, you look at those numbers, and you choose which side that you want. Oh, I definitely misunderstood that. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry to my friends. I cheated. <laughs> I thought it was just bad. I mean, I, I mean, it probably was. Whenever you do pick up an individual card, you can choose which side to put up and where to put it into your hand. It's just that initial pickup. You have to get one side or the other. So, David, what you been playing? Well, Michael, I'm glad you asked. Because I'm going to talk about a game that you don't really care for. Ooh. <laughs> Is it Blood Rage? It's Blood Rage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the challenges that I tried to do throughout 2022 was play my entire collection or get rid of it. Uh, I'm not adhering 100% to that because I played Blood Rage on January 1st, 2023. <laughs> And it's not, it's not a game that I'm going to get rid of. This is a this is an Eric Lang game published by Simon Games. And it is all about Norse mythology. You're a Viking clan, hiring monsters, duking it out over uh what's the what's the Middle Earth called? June time, I think. There's Mannheim, Alfheim. And June time? June time. Around Yggdrasil. Around Yggdrasil. And that's what you're all you're fighting over. And it was just a great time. It was the first time I've played this game in over a year. I broke it out with Ellen and one of our one of our brothers. Shout out to Nate. My set is painted and it looks gorgeous. It looks absolutely fantastic on the table. Michael doesn't know what he's talking about. The Loki strategy didn't win. Mm. Uh, <laughs> no comment. <laughs> <laughs> no, Nate. Nate did a really good job. He Nate did. Uh... Oh, I didn't play with Ellen. No, I played with Isaiah. Shout out to Isaiah. <laughs> Nate did a really good job. He locked down the uh, last, the the territory that was going to be destroyed in Ragnarok, which you get some points for having a glorious death in Ragnarok for each figure. Uh, he locked that down with all of his figures, and then played a card that doubled all of his glory for dying in Ragnarok. So he got fifty points out of that, and it rocketed him to the lead. You look like you have something to say, Michael. What is it? I'll keep it to myself. <laughs> <laughs> 
One of my favorite things about Blood Rage uh, is you, you can do bad in one round. You're given one grace round, essentially. And typically when you mess up, you know what you did wrong. Uh, it's it's pretty easy to trace back to your mistakes, which is which I think is the hallmark of a good game. If you can go, I did poorly, but I know why I did poorly. That's a that's a good game. And Nate Nate was opining that he did really bad in the first round, and he was out. And it's like Nate, look at me. You get one bad round in this, and he came back and took it, and he won the game. <laughs> and that's all I have about that. <laughs> that's fun. <laughs> and now it's time for game of the fortnight. The part of the podcast where we hold one game above all others, at least for the next two weeks. Uh, and before I announce this Fortnite's game, I do have an announcement to make. More like a PSA. Normally, we release a, uh, we release a podcast every two weeks, but sometimes life gets busy, things get hectic, and we don't release one every two weeks. Or, we don't have a game of the Fortnite every episode, like our last two special episodes. So it's important to remember that as soon as two weeks is up, you stop holding this game in high regard like the game of the Fortnite should. Okay? You bring it down to regular game <laughs> status. Just two weeks, that's all you get. I just want to make sure everybody knows that. <laughs> what was our last game of the Fortnite? Was it Coup? I think it was Coup, which was a couple of months ago at this point. It was two weeks. <laughs> oh. Well, I'm still holding Coup up because I'm really excited to play the Coup tournament coming up at Tantrum Con. Shout out to Tantrum Con. Yeah. Buy your tickets now. <laughs> <laughs> so what is this game of the Fortnite that we're holding in high regard for the next two weeks? So the game of the Fortnite this Fortnite is Ascension. Ascension is a 2010 deck building game by John Fioriello. Justin Gary and Brian Kilbor Kibler. Uh, sorry, I wrote it down really hastily right before this. It's published by Stoneblade Entertainment, and it is one of the earlier deck building games that got added to a lot of our collections shortly after Dominion. Ascension is a game in which you all start with the same basic set of cards, eight apprentices and two militia, which provide you with runes that give you buying power to collect cards and provide you with power to attack monsters and the cultists. This is different from Dominion in that instead of having a common stockpile of cards that are available to everyone, it has two cards that are always available, uh, the Mystic and the Heavy inf Infantry which are better versions of the basic cards, and then a cultist that can always be attacked. And other than that, there are six cards in a central row that appear at random from the deck. So one common complaint about this game is that there's a lot of luck in when the right cards come out. Now, I've always been a curmudgeon when it comes to deck builders with a trade row. I like to, I like to say that the advantage of the trade row is you get a lot more variety in your options of cards that you can buy over the course of the game, but the disadvantage is that they suck. Uh, <laughs> because historically, I have hated the luck of the card coming out of the off the top of the deck, because you don't know what's coming next. You buy a card, you have no idea what's coming next. Lately, I've started to change my tune. There have been a few deck builders that have a trade road that I've thought are, if not great, pretty darn good. And I was late to playing Ascension. I actually played Ascension for the first time last year, I think, oh. because it had a trade row. And as one of the first deck builders with a trade row, it's really good. I gotta say, this Ascension is probably my second favorite deck builder with a trade row. 
if not my first. The the thing the twist behind this the trade row is you have you you have two types of currency you're building up. You have like runes that are money to buy cards, but you also have fighty power to defeat monsters because there are two types of cards in that main deck. You have cards that you can buy or monsters that you can beat up and score points. So you need to balance the the amount of currency to the amount of firepower that you have in your deck to appropriately react to the trade row at that time and i just find that's a that's a fun puzzle to try and juggle if the trade row gets clogged with monsters it's because you don't have enough firepower in your deck buy some of that heavy infantry get those points for yourself there are a few things that this game does very well for one of them being how the end game is triggered and that being you have a certain number of points, and when that runs out, that triggers the end game. You can still score more points, but that once you reach a certain threshold, that triggers the end game. And that's points earned between all players. Another thing that I like very well is that the cards that you buy, they are worth points. So the, the cards that you put into your deck are worth a certain amount of points. So even if you're not doing fighty power and defeating all the monsters, you're still building up a, uh, a deck worth points i've lost some games before just because of people building more valuable decks and so once you score that up at the end of the game you're just like oh boy <laughs> <laughs> like like you said the trade row i'm not sure if i'm 100 keen on the trade row but one of the effects in this game is banishing which allows you to either get rid of cards in your hand in the discard or in the trade row depending on the card and there is so much cycling in this game compared to other games with trade rows that, yes, there is a little bit of luck, but it's it's built as a core game mechanic of getting rid of this card, seeing what comes up, and then maybe doing this thing, and then fighting this monster. <laughs> or if you know that you can't afford a nice card that your opponent will probably snag, get rid of it. <laughs> yep. Yep. So, yes, it has a trade road, but they built in several mechanics to cycle that deck as, I would say, pretty quickly. Jesse, I know you are the uh, the Ascension aficionado here. You, you've been keeping pretty quiet. Are, are uh, criticisms fair of your darling game? Absolutely. I, I really enjoy Ascension. I like the four different factions of cards that are in the center deck. Apart from monsters, every other card will have a faction. It'll either be enlightened cards, which are blue and tend to give you card draws or give you additional effects such as acquiring a card for free or defeating a monster for free. Purple cards are void cards, which tend to give you the power to banish cards and increase power for attacking monsters. Um, the yellow cards are mechanic cards, which tend to increase your ability to buy cards and tend to work together in the form of constructs, which are cards that are added to your tableau and kept on the table instead of going back into your discard pile. And they tend to be worth a lot of points as well, a lot of honor. And then there are the green lifebound cards, which tend to give you additional runes and give you honor without defeating monsters. <laughs> I don't know what that's about. <laughs> for, for the listeners, uh, we're putting our hand over half of our face. And <laughs> Every time Jesse says honor. <laughs> like Zuko from Avatar The Last Airbender. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I did not. I was like, what is... okay?" So every single time Jesse was saying, we were, we were just making the hand si signal, and Jesse had no idea what was going on. Right. Honor is, honor is what the VPs are in this game. So um, there's that. I think that this game really shines with its expansions. I mean... 
David, you've talked about Dominion, how the base game is good, but without some of the expansions, you don't necessarily want to play it all the time. Yeah, without expansions, it runs dry pretty quick. For me, there are two expansions that I that I really enjoy the most, and those are Dawn of Champions and Gift of the Elements. And Dawn of Champions gives each player a slightly asymmetrical power that's based on one of the four factions and allows you to earn a champion that will basically be a card added to your deck that has a unique power. And then the Gift of the Elements adds in some additional mechanics that I think work nicely with Dawn of Champions and also that allow you to banish cards from your hand that you've already played when you acquire cards from the center deck, which is a really useful way for pairing your deck down quickly. And so I really enjoy those two expansions. Oh boy, do I love banishing cards. (laughs) Me too, it's so satisfying. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah if you if you don't get rid of get it you out get rid of your starting deck by the time the game is over did you even play ascension <laughs> oh man i try i try <laughs> then you have no apprentices and you have very little buying power so you go for all, <laughs> all fighty and so your opponent just starts banishing all the monsters so you have nothing to fight <laughs> I will say, if you ignore the monsters too much and let one person at the table fight all the monsters, that person is likely to win. Yeah. So now is the time we have to ask ourselves, is Ascension worthy of the board game famous Gold Star? Jesse, you've played this the most. I have I have played like 6,000 game, games of it on the app. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give it the Gold Star because I was told today that I'm really stingy with my Gold Stars. My friend texted me. Um, and so he said, I'm listening to an episode where you didn't give Micro Macro a gold star. And he's like, how dare you? <laughs> how dare you, sir? Um, so, yeah, I am going to be generous with my gold star and say, yes, Ascension is among the best in class for deck building games that are competitive. I would absolutely play it almost any time. Uh, Michael, would you give the gold star of glory to of honor? to Don't Ascension. <laughs> I got into this game late. I didn't play it until I moved out to the Carolinas, which was 2017. And I played it with you, Jesse. And I, you know, this is seven years after it was released. Everybody had played it. You had played it 300 trillion billion times. Still enjoyed it. We moved on to the Cult of the New because that's what we did. I played it a few times. The app is free. I don't know if the expansions cost, but it's a great way to get into the game. But yes, I would give it the Gold Star Award because I think that this is a deck builder that does uh, trade rows well. I think there are other deck builders that don't do it well. David, brother, do you give Ascension the board game famous Gold Star Award? Is this going to be the first triple Gold Star? Whoa. Is this, am I awarding a deck builder with a trade row the first triple gold star? I mean, you don't have to. <laughs> oh, I, I have to. Any, any deck builder with a trade trade row that changes my worldview deserves the board game famous gold star. I used to be an adamant hater of that style of game. But now with Ascension and then the other game being uh, Shards of Infinity... I have to try deck builders with a trade row. I have to I have to keep an open mind. They can be good. But definitely check out Ascension. The app is free. Download it and play it. App is free. You can play by yourself. What an interesting thought, Michael. 
And now it's time for Brother Talk, the part of the show where we talk about whatever we feel like. And this fortnight, I really wanted to challenge you guys, because I wanted to talk about solo board gaming, playing a game by yourself. I have been on record on this podcast saying that the reason, one of the reasons I play board games versus video games is the social aspect of sitting around the table and being with friends. Well, usually friends, sometimes strangers, who become friends. <laughs> <laughs> but solo board gaming does something that is does something different than what I got into the hobby for. For me, solo board games can be broken down into a couple categories. Story-driven bo- uh, solo board games, and then non-story-driven solo board games. In the non-story-driven board games, you can have basic puzzle games. Like, you could play Micro Macro technically by yourself, and that's a solo game. But it's just a bunch of puzzles. And there's other games that are puzzles like that. Then you just have basic board game that's repeatable. And for those outcomes, whenever you're playing by yourself, you see usually two kinds of score uh, scoring scenarios. Rate of success, meaning you play a game and you get a score, and you look at a chart and it says, if you got this score, you did this well. Or... Pass or fail. You, you either beat it or you didn't beat it based based on a particular scenario. Yeah, so the solo board game that I played uh, pretty recently was Parks. And that had a win condition of degrees of success. You know, if you got less than 20 points, it was nice about it. I, I thought the description of, I thought the description in the rule book was pretty funny. It was like, if you got less than 20 points, like, like you sure went on a hike <laughs> or, something <laughs> <like that. laughs> or, or something like that. <laughs> and all the way up to 35 plus, like, oh, you're a true adventurer or something, something like that. You know, Parks is a game about hiking the trails, collecting resources and visiting different national parks, which have different resource costs to visit it. And it has an interesting mechanic because you're not playing against anyone else. You have an automated opponent, which is not necessarily an opponent. You're not playing against them. You have a ranger that just mucks things up for you. <laughs> it just makes, <laughs> just makes things difficult. Which I think is funny because rangers don't actually do that in real life. <laughs> I was going to say, just like in real life. Just like in real life. Yeah, rangers are really nice. Be nice to your local park rangers. Uh, but I, I really enjoyed this one. You know, degrees of success... It was well designed. The Rangers, this mechanic that was added for the solo edition, was easy to execute. My concern in solo games is whenever you have to read another manual just for the programming of this <laughs> uh, of this solo adventure of a character that you struggle with. For those of you who enjoy solo board gaming due to just the lifestyle that you like, I, I truly believe that there are it's getting better in the board gaming industry over the past five years, but I don't necessarily think that it's for me still. Yeah. I agree with what a lot, a lot of what you said. And I wanted to, one of the games that I played that wanted me to explore solo gaming a little bit more was uh, spirit Island. Mm. It's a cooperative game, which I think lends itself pretty well to solo board gaming. You can just play a couple of roles in a cooperative game and hooray, you're playing on your own. So I was actually trying to learn the rules to Spirit Island. I was like, hey, I'll just play this solo so I can teach it. And, you know, I keep thinking about that gameplay. I'll probably have to go back and play a solo again. But it's just, if you don't try it, you'll never know. Uh, I agree that there are several different types of solo games. I like the ones that have, like, an opponent that you're facing that's messing you up. But I agree it can't be too bad. I played uh, Anachrony solo 
a few months ago, and oh my goodness, you do more for the solo player than you do for yourself, it feels like. And so since I had played that game a few months ago, I was like, maybe solo gaming isn't for me. (laughs) (laughs) Would you say that that is the least enjoyable solo gaming experience for yourself, Anachrony? For myself. Uh, But I do want to say, I played uh, with a caveat, I played with the original solo mode rules. Uh, As I understand it, they have been updated, a new solo mode, like, like, it comes with its own board. A, a new board has been released with some fine-tuned rules. So I don't want to say it's terrible now. Um, I just I played with the old method, and I wasn't a huge fan of it. It was just too much admin. Whereas I've played several other games solo. Parks was... It, I really like Parks Solo. I've done that one. Some of the highest praise I can uh, give it. I've played that solo mode more than once. Uh, I've played that three times, I think. Wow. Like you, Michael, I, I got into board gaming to play with people, not by myself. But nowadays, I find myself more and more on my own. So I was like, hey, I'll just play a game solo, one of the games that I have. And then you look at your shelf and you go, oh, wow, I can play it by myself. Wow. 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 Another another game that's really incredible solo is Calico. And I assume Cascadia would be very much the same. In Calico, you're given three choices of a tile. You choose one, and then the next tile in line is eliminated. So it's it's a really fun puzzle to go, if I take this one, I will lose that one. And, and that kind of future knowledge of is just really fun to puzzle out. I think the more puzzly a solo game is, the more I enjoy it. What about you, Jesse? We haven't heard from you. So my favorite solo game is Chronicles of Crime. Um, it, like you said, there are story-based games, and then there are games where you're playing like a board game against an automated opponent, um, which is called an Otoma. Do you know the first game that had an Otoma, or at least used the term Otoma? Was it a Stonemaier game? It was a Stonemaier game. It was Viticulture. Yeah, it was a, I assumed it, because I thought Otoma was just Stonemaier games. I think the name has gone more broadly now, but I know that there was like a consulting company that helped to initially design the Otoma for Stonemaier games. But yeah, I... So I've played Scythe with an Atoma a couple times, but I just played like a two-player game because it's too much to run like multiple factions for me. And that was, it felt like a very different game playing it with just one opponent. Scythe plays best with at least three or four people. So I didn't particularly enjoy that. Um, as we were getting ready for this episode last month, I got a chance to play a game of Root solo. I played using, <laughs> I played using the Clockwork expansion number two. And I played as the Marquise de Cat versus the Underground Duchy. Again, this is a game that doesn't play especially well at two players. And I chose those two factions because that was a recommended pairing for them. I did really badly, spoiler alert. I lost. <laughs> the Atoma won, or the Clockwork the Clockwork Duchy won. They, I was a little too passive initially. Um, the Duchy automatically just was scoring tons and tons of points because they got all these buildings on the board. And as the cats, I had to either destroy them and get no points basically or and like spend all my turns trying to build up an army to fight them or else I had to build my own buildings and get points, which is the main way the cats get points. And I just felt like I couldn't get a foothold. Um, I ended the game 17 points to their 30, and I felt entirely defeated. To me, it felt like terrible balance, but it might just be that I'm garbage at the game. I love Root. (laughs) Like, I love Root. It's one of my favorite games, and I have not done well at it at all recently. So what what do you think are the hallmarks of a good solo game, then? Because I think it needs to be snappy. It's got to be short. You can't have a lot of admin for your non-turns. And I think 
I think another thing in a solo game that I like, at least if it is a multiplayer game, it needs to capture the feeling of the original game. I want to I want to play I want to play Red Cathedral. I can't find anybody to play with me. I'm going to play by myself. Would you guys agree with those statements? Yeah, there's too much admin. I'm not I'm not playing. It's not it's not a uh, solo board game in the traditional sense, but I played um, Gloomhaven digital recently and i tried running four characters and oh my goodness <laughs> trying to remember everything that i'm doing just for myself <laughs> i think i think the rule book recommends if you're doing it solo don't do more than two <laughs> yeah <laughs> i should play every dell solo <laughs> well i think mistwood or um what's what's the other the first, the first expansion that had uh, an opponent for a solo play in Everdell, Rugwort. Is it Rugwort the rat? Yeah, Rugwort is in the first, is in the base game. Yeah, um, so that's a solo mode for that. And then the new, the new Mistwood is also a solo mode or a two player against a um, an automated spider kind of mode. I have not tried that yet either. One thing that I haven't tried that I am interested in trying is a story-driven solo game. Like, I could see myself playing uh, Sleeping Gods solo. Next time you drive up here, I need to play it, because I promised I would play it uh, live in one day. After we got a thousand listens, and then I had a baby. (laughs) (laughs) And then life happened. (laughs) And then life happened. Life comes at you pretty fast. (laughs) Wait, have we had a thousand listens? We've had two thousand listens. Well, you better get to playing Sleeping Gods and then Michael's got to play it because we got to do that too. But then it's not solo. We don't have to play together. So wait, when we get to three thousand, do I get to play? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all, you heard it. You have to listen to the pod. And now, without musical accompaniment, it's mail time. And this week's mail time question is. What was the best board game you got for Christmas? Sent Ooh. to us by listener Anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> how does this? How did that listener know that I got a board game for Christmas? Hmm? Maybe I didn't. I think it was a pretty big assumption. I, I like I say, <laughs> David, prove them wrong. What did, <laughs> prove them wrong? Did you or did you not get a board game for Christmas? <laughs> I, I did. I did. <laughs> I got, I got, at the time of recording, I got one board game for Christmas. <laughs> I also got one board game for Christmas. <laughs> I did, however, get some upgrades. I got metal coins for Scythe. I got, I got a metal coin storage for Scythe, because I already had metal coins. And then I got the metal coins for Viticulture. Nice. Um, I got an expansion for Parks. I got the new Wildlife expansion for Parks, Ooh. so I'm excited to try that out. Uh, but the game that I guess is the best game I got for Christmas is Honey Buzz. Ooh. Which is a really fun game. It's got adorable beeples, which are your meeples but shaped like bees. You send your beeples out to collect hive combs, and you build out your hive. You collect nectar and hunt, and you can collect pollen and nectar, and you sell it to all the forest woodland animals. It's bee capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> it's always capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> so, what was the best board game you got for Christmas, Michael? So I got a board game for Christmas. So what something that we do is Secret Santa. I can't remember how long that we've been doing it, David, but all of our brothers and now our entire life. <laughs> as long as I can remember. So all, all of our brothers and now Ellen, we randomly get assigned another person 
at Thanksgiving time, and then you buy a gift for them. And so that's been our secret Santa. My youngest brother, Nate, shout out to Nate, got me a board game. It's a very great board game, a board game that I love. It's Cascadia. So technically the answer is Cascadia. (laughs) But because Jesse already owns it, and I know we're going to play his copy all the time, I traded it in at the store <laughs> for Cubidos. <laughs> for Cubidos. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Nate went with me to the store. So <laughs> so there's no hard feelings. No hard feelings. And then I think we went and got Chinese food. So shout out to Peking House. <laughs> but so technically, my favorite board game that I got for Christmas was Cascadia. <laughs> <laughs> and then you immediately got rid of it. <laughs> and then I immediately got Cubanos. Jesse, what is your favorite board game that you got for Christmas? Well, I got three board games for Christmas, so ooh, I feel I don't fancy. want to hear about two of them. I don't want to hear about two of them. Yeah. Just give me the favorite. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> if you tell me if you tell me more than one, if you tell me more than one, I am removing you from this call. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so the board game that I like best that I got for Christmas, well, I haven't played yet, so I don't know for sure, but I'm really excited I got Detective the Vienna Connection, which is, ah, yeah, right, right, ooh. Um, I played through Detective Solo. It is similar kind of to Chronicles of Crime, where you are um, going through a deck and solving crimes. It is, if I remember right, it has some app stuff but not nearly as much as chronicles of crime does but it's just kind of like a a puzzle solving mystery sleuthing adventure that i'm really excited to try i also got mystic pass and unfair no 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 no, 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 no. i got it in in. thanks you can't edit that out i got it i did it i did it everyone say goodbye to jesse we're moving him (laughs) jesse has left the call (laughs) that brings us to the close of another podcast thanks for listening if you want to join in the discussion you can email us at boardgamefamous at gmail.com or you can join our discord using the link below Or you can follow us on Instagram using the link below. We barely post. (laughs) (laughs) It's been difficult. (laughs) It has been difficult. But until next fortnight, bye-bye. Oh, bye-bye now. Bye, y'all. I'm still here. (laughs) 